2: Bring in show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, Pfizer out with some good news for kids. CNBC's Meg Terrell reports. In this clinical trial, it saw that immune responses in kids
3: 5 to 11 are robust in terms of the antibody levels and comparable to those of people
0: 16 to
3: 25.
0: New York City's mayoral nominee, Eric Adams, sets his priorities for the Big Apple, from classrooms to subways and all the streets in between.
4: The prerequisite to prosperity and growth is public safety and justice. We can have both together. My city is going to be safe to be here.
0: Those stories, plus the estate tax making a comeback, and with it, some big gifts among friends. CNBC's Robert Frank. There
2: is one important thing that everyone should do right now before the end of the year to get ahead of whatever happens to the estate tax, and that is to maximize your gift tax exemptions.
0: It's Monday, September 20th, 2021. SquawkPod begins right now.
2: Stand Becky by in three, two, one, Cue, free.
5: Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we are watching the markets very closely this morning because uh, there's a lot of red, a lot of red everywhere. And this is kind of contagion kicking in. As we saw, markets off very steeply in Asia. The Hang Seng was off there. And then also that's spreading through to Europe. Other concerns that are out there, the debt ceiling in the United States, that's just a couple of weeks away with no real agreement from the two sides on how to move forward. And the idea that Senator Joe Manchin is now talking about pushing off a vote for the big spending bill from the administration until next year. So a lot of things circling right now. And you're going to see that playing out right now in the markets. It's also uh, getting closer to October. September 17th was the date that over the last 20 years Kramer's been talking about uh, that that day is when you really saw a turning point, And that could be the case because that was Friday. We've seen a big, broad sell off in cryptocurrency, too. Um, it's yeah. been pretty closely linked to the markets for a while, and you can see that's the case. Uh, Bitcoin's off by 5.6%, but you've got Dogecoin down by close to 8%, and uh, Litecoin's off by 6%. Um, all of these names really under quite a bit of pressure with Ripple there, too.
6: Yeah, we need an NFT uh, something, like a composite <laughs> NFT thing. A, uh, Bitcoin got as low as 44 it was down 6% at one point. Our friend Kevin Rudd yep. that we have on a lot back mm-hmm. uh, yep. and, and Andrew, he, his piece today, trying to uh, explain what president Xi is what his motivation is for the what we 've seen just sort of a rotation from sector to sector of reform of that he thinks it has to do with getting a third term, but he 's also uh, in, uh, Kevin rudd saying that president Xi better think about the long term effects of what he 's doing because the, the it, getting his you know, his own interests are at the expense perhaps of the economy which he wants. To do well, he we wants to make China the richest place on earth, and it could be a problem. So I'm not saying that China is going to call an evergreen today, right. and and I, now I'm not saying it's going to cause a bear market in global markets, Becky and, so and think Andrew. This is all just a. Set. But if it is, if there if there is a bear market, I have I can't believe no one's thought about this. Here is here would be a symbol
1: of, for the bear market.
5: <laughs> oh boy. A specific type of bear you're talking about.
1: I just think we should sell it as an NFT. That's. How come no
6: one thought about the, the next bear market could be China? And he, he gets very angry. And, and it, uh, I guess people think he has a, a re, sort of a resemblance to, to that great cartoon character. And he's very sensitive about it. We've been, we've been had some issues in the past. But if we need a bear market symbol, I think that may end up being what? There's your NFT. We're looking for... What finally yeah, causes some... How much some would you un- pay for that? I like that one. That's a good one. But, but, but to your point,
5: we've been waiting to see what kind of uh, pokes a hole in the bubble. Right, exactly. You know, what what, what lets some come? of the air out of this, because we've had worry after worry that that wall of worry that the markets climbed. Maybe this is the one thing that makes everybody say... Okay, this is too much. And by the way, all of those other concerns that we've been ignoring, maybe we'll pay a little more attention to them.
6: You know, though, we've got our I don't know if we import a a real break in the market from China because we can exist. We've seen in the past they're not. We we have domestically, we're very strong, but we've got our own issues with uh, I think maybe maybe it's because some of these Fed guys are finally getting out of the market
5: maybe they just have so timing.
6: If they're out of the market, they're no longer going to support the... Uh,
1: no, I don't think that's it.
5: Some breaking news on the vaccine front. Meg Terrell joins us with more on this. And Meg, this is some news that a lot of people have been very eagerly awaiting.
3: Pfizer reporting the first results for its vaccine for kids ages 5 to 11, reporting that uh, in this clinical trial, it saw that immune responses in kids 5 to 11 are robust in terms of the antibody levels and comparable to those of people 16 to 25 in previous studies. They also said the vaccine appeared to be well-tolerated with also side effects similar to what they saw in that older age group. And they plan to file for emergency use authorization in kids ages five to 11, quote, as soon as possible. Now, this was a study that included about uh, 2,270 kids And they tested a dose that was one-third the amount that people over the age of 12 get. So it's 10 micrograms uh, given three weeks apart, two doses of that. So that's a third of the adult dose. Uh, So, guys, these are some of the results that parents of younger kids have been waiting for. They do anticipate getting results in even younger children uh, sometime before the end of the year, perhaps in about a month. Uh, As for right now, the first results we're seeing in kids down to age five, and they look pretty similar uh, to what we've seen in older people. We don't yet have enough cases for them to report the efficacy, but in terms of the immune response, um, looking pretty good. Guys?
5: Meg, what happens next? I mean, we, we know the timeline is this maybe three weeks it will take the FDA. What, are we still thinking Halloween is when kids might actually get vaccinated? And, and, and what does that mean just in terms of logistics, how these new vials will be rolled out and where?
3: Yeah, so there are a few things that have to happen before we get this vaccine out and available to folks. First is that Pfizer has to file with regulators. And so it's preparing to do that. We don't know exactly how long that will take. They had signaled that could probably happen in early October. And then the question from there is, how long will it take regulators to review this? Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner on the board of Pfizer, has suggested it might take four to six weeks. We have seen some reporting from Reuters citing U.S. health officials saying it could be even shorter, three weeks. And we know that it's very urgent right now. Uh, for kids because the case numbers we are seeing are higher than ever in terms of the proportion they're making up in this pandemic. About 26 percent of overall cases in early September were from kids. That compares to about 16 percent that we've seen for the entire pandemic. Hospitalizations also at record. So there is an urgent situation here, uh, but it will be a few weeks. We have to see Pfizer file and then we have to see how long the FDA takes to review.
6: Kind of interesting that the, the dosage, the way that, that uh, works. We know about baby aspirin and stuff like that, but I, I would always think that's sort of weight related, body, you know, size related. So this, this is kind of interesting. I, they got great immune systems. That, you know, we're envious, obviously, the older you get of, of the kid's immune system. So you get the same response with a much lower dosage, which if you can do it, it's probably good. I guess whenever you can use less. Uh, it's probably better, but what did you say it was, Meg? It, it was, and this was Pfizer because Moderna is already higher than is already higher than Pfizer for adults, right? So I wonder how that how you would dose Moderna for kids.
3: Yeah, we're going to have to see that um, what Moderna ends up doing. Uh, but they do have for adults uh, three times uh, the the dose. They have 100 micrograms for Moderna for adults,
6: which seems to work better, longer, right? Moderna, there's some.
4: In adults, com- yes. they have yeah. been,
3: There is some emerging data suggesting that. Yeah. And it's not clear if it's because there's a higher dose or because right, there's right, an extra right. week spacing between those doses. But for right. kids, it's fascinating. I mean, Pfizer is testing one third the dose for kids down to five and one tenth the dose for even younger kids. And you're just seeing these immune responses that are really comparable uh, with what people 16 to 25 are getting with that higher dose.
1: By the way, in terms of timing for other vaccine makers, including uh, Moderna and J&J for kids, what are you expecting in terms of timeline?
3: Yeah, we know that they're in these trials. Uh, Moderna has not put quite as concrete timelines on things as we've heard from Pfizer, so we are expecting to see those at some point over the coming months. They're still waiting for the FDA to act on their application for down to age 12. Uh, Because the Pfizer vaccine is available, there's not quite as much urgency there to approve another or authorize another vaccine for that age group. Uh, But Moderna will be coming behind, and Johnson & Johnson is also in pediatric trials. So these will start rolling out, but Pfizer, once again in the lead with its results.
6: So what if I wanted to be a good citizen uh, or, or, and try to help myself with a booster, which I'm, which I could, I'm in line to get. Do I, 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 don't ha- I didn't have Pfizer, I had Moderna, so what am I supposed to do? Had to go get a Pfizer? Yeah, no, as you- of
3: right now, the booster is only authorized for people who got Pfizer, most likely. We're going to see how this plays out this week with for whom the FDA clears it, because uh, they still need to. That was just an advisory board on, on Friday. And then Wednesday and Thursday this week, CDC's advisors are going to meet to actually make those clinical recommendations. But right now, we've only seen the Pfizer booster get evaluated, and there aren't data from the U.S. on mixing and matching vaccines. Yeah, and so, most mix. likely, the recommendation is going to be just for Pfizer folks.
1: But the truth is, Moderna is doing so well, I thought. Maybe I don't need it. That you may not need Fewer it. Fewer
5: breakthrough cases, but they don't know if that's because most of the older people in this country got Pfizer because it was approved first, if that skews the data. I, and got it earlier.
6: After getting whittled down and weakened uh, for years, the estate tax makes a comeback in the latest house plan. Robert Frank joins us now with more. Robert, good morning.
2: Good morning, Joe. Fewer than 2,000 people actually paid estate taxes in 2020, only raised about $16 billion in revenue. That's down 50 percent from a year ago. Now, the main reason is the exemption, which is now $11.7 million per person. That means estates worth less than that go untaxed, but it's also because the estate planning industry has found and created massive loopholes. The House now aiming to close those. The House plan would cut the exemption by more than half to $6 million. It also effectively ends what are called grantor trusts. These have become kind of this secret sauce for estate plans. They allow business owners to create a trust that they own and control, but is separate from the estate. For tax purposes, the House plan would force new trusts to be part of the estate now for the investors the most important change to the estate tax proposed is the so-called discount planning now this allows investors to place a portfolio of stocks or financial assets into a partnership they can then gift it out in pieces to family members each piece then gets discounted for tax purposes by up to a third because it is a non-controlling stake now the IRS not surprisingly has tried for years to challenge this the House plan would finally ban it. Now, the Tax Foundation saying all these changes together would raise an additional $65 billion over the first four years. Joe?
6: The, uh, I was listening closely. The, the second-to-die uh, insurance, whole-life insurance, that's that's not affected here. That's not something that... That, that that's, seems like you're, you're sort of making an investment long-term that just builds up a certain... Uh, uh, cash balance to help pay for estate taxes. So that that's that's not a loophole per se. That's just preparation, is it not?
2: Right, but there are changes in this and they're far too complicated to get, to get into, but there are changes in the house plan to the whole life insurance application to estate planning. And remember this this is all sort of in lieu of the president's plan. The president wanted to get rid of the step up in basis and tax gains tax appreciated gains upon death. The House did not include that. So because of that and for revenue and sort of progressive politics reasons, they had to include something. So the president didn't really touch the estate tax. The House then had to beef it up. And that's why, you know, the insurance loophole, GRATS, all these trusts that have been sort of a key part of estate planning for years are now sort of under pressure. We'll see where the Senate comes out and whether any of this actually happens.
6: You think that the Senate parliamentarian that made the decision about uh, that in this case, it had to do with immigration. Do you think that that has Democrats maybe raised an eyebrow that 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 she's going to watch some other things that we try to slip in here and, and that they might not pass muster as well? Or do you think that this is the only thing that she would challenge? I, I don't know. I don't know how to handicap it. Is that are you hearing scuttlebutt about that, Robert?
2: No, I mean, that's a question for Elon and our Washington folks. But what's interesting about these tax plan is that the president's plan, the House plan, there are big differences there, not just in the corporate tax, but in the capital gains treatment, the estate tax. And on the Senate side, we haven't heard from the Senate. So in addition to what Joe Manchin is sort of rumored to be saying now about putting all this off till next year, a lot in the air right now.
1: Robert, um, for those out there who have constructed trusts like the ones you've described, does this undo them, or does this prevent new ones from being created like that?
2: (laughs) Asking for a friend, right? Yeah, (laughs) so it it, it basically...
1: (laughs) I can't laugh. <laughs> you, you. It's, it, that, you that, that's a question have, Andrew, that everybody who even knows what this even, what you're even talking about, busted, is asking. Busted.
2: A hundred percent. A hundred percent, Andrew. This is an important question. So you have basically until the end of the year to create these trusts. After that, it's the new trust that will be effective. But there is one important thing that everyone should do right now before the end of the year to get ahead of whatever happens at the estate tax, and that is to maximize your gift tax exemption. So right now you you can give away up to eleven point seven million dollars to friends and family until the end of the year if this changes so what everyone is telling smart clients is give the maximum give up to 11.7 million dollars if right. you're lucky enough to have okay, that kind right. of money asking for a the of the year
1: yeah. that, now, now the conversation's uh, yeah. moved beyond <laughs> yeah. unfortunately yeah all right yeah, i'll do that i'm gonna do that thank you i'm gonna you. do that today with that 11.7 Robert,
5: i'm doing that i'm gonna Joe, call my guy right now andrew no my yeah i exactly. you guys all checks
6: my, yeah right um Mine, I have a second to die, but I, you know I'm not doing loopholes. I'm doing just totally like normal stuff. Yeah. you know it's what just I'm like saying. When yeah, me. That's that's, that's, that's what me you're ask calling you it. My okay. Question. No, second to die is just. that's Robert. That's just preparing, right? Just preparation. Robert, that's like not finagling. All right. Thank you. Becky's just burst out laughing. I, I know. And
1: I wasn't paying. Attention. I originally thought that Robert burst out laughing because I couldn't I couldn't see. But now I, I understand what's happening here.
0: Coming up on SquawkPod, NYC mayoral nominee Eric Adams on crime, business, and of course, taxes.
4: We're dysfunctional as a city. We create our crises, and those tax dollars are being wasted. I say, let's make sure we get our house in order through our agencies, and then let's talk about how much money we need to run this city. We'll be right back.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
0: This is Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew is on the terrace of the NASDAQ, just a few floors above a bustling Times Square.
1: New York City Democratic mayoral nominee Eric Adams is on a mission to reset the city's relationship with business at last week's SALT conference. He said, quote, New York will no longer be anti-business and outlined a plan to work with Wall Street to fill job openings with New York City residents and try to reskill the workforce. Eric Adams joins us this morning now on the NASDAQ Terrace. It is great to see you.
4: As well. Good seeing you. I can't well. call
1: you Mr. Mayor just yet, but uh, <laughs> it appears to be on track to do that. But let's talk about the reset of this city, but also the reset with business, because over the past couple of years, as you know, the relationship between business and this city and this uh, the current mayor uh, has been, let's say, politely challenged.
4: How are you approaching this differently? Well, think about this for a moment. We are the only country on the globe that we have dream attached to our name. You don't have a French dream, a German dream. You have an American dream. We are hardwired to start a business and hope from going from the mailroom to owning a business. We've lost that along the way. And so I have have been spending the last few years talking to my business leaders and stating if I'm fortunate enough to become mayor, we're we're going to hit reset and we're going to establish that relationship.
1: We've heard a lot during covid about people leaving the city, um, businesses leaving the city, people moving to Florida, moving to different jurisdictions where the, the taxes are lower and the like. How do you bring those people back?
4: You know, what's fascinating is that everyone talks about the number of people who are leaving, but they don't look at the subtext, going to the crevices. I actually talk to the people who are leaving from different sectors. They say the same thing. Eric, my city is not safe. I'm paying my taxes, but I'm, get, I'm receiving a dysfunctional product. Right. The prerequisite to prosperity and growth is public safety and justice. We could have them both together. My city is going to be safe to be here.
1: Let's talk about that safety issue, though, because there has been lots of questions about how you balance these issues of safety and justice and all of these types of things at the same time that you're trying to balance, trying to bring business back.
4: Right. And, and what happened, we often go to one extreme or the other. Either we tell our police officers to fall back, don't do your job, or you go heavy-handed. Right. No. Just as I'm doing reset with businesses, I'm doing reset with my police department. I'm telling them this is a new day. The bad guys are watching the good guys squabble with each other. I'm going to have the backs of my officers, but at the same time, I'm telling those who are in my department, policing is a noble profession. If you can't keep up with that nobility, you're not going to be in my department. How much is it uh, a difference between leadership in the policing space right now?
1: And some of the laws that have changed over the past two and three years that have changed the incentive system and structure of policing.
4: A great question. Great. We have to look, you know, we've, we've never looked at the ecosystem of public safety in our country, not only New York. We have to look at that ecosystem. We dropped everything on the police officer. I say no to that. Let's bring in our mental health professionals, our crisis management team. But at the same time, we have to watch what we're doing on the state level and the federal level. That first round of bail reform was a killer. We had robbery on the list. We had burglary on the list. We went back and re-examined that, and that was important. We have to keep making sure we're not going to the extreme because you can't keep a city safe based on sound soundbikes. It's based on good sound policies. I got,
1: I got another question for you, and I want to bring Becky in in just a moment, but I have, I have a tax question. Uh, AOC, who also represents uh, New York to some degree, or more than to some degree, she's an elected official, uh, wore a dress last week that said tax the rich.
4: Do you, do you subscribe to that policy? What we must do, and I'm a big believer that you know. I think AOC and I believe I, uh, we both want the same things. We just have different pathways to get there. Uh, her mother uh, was a domestic worker or did things in that level. So was my mother. But when you talk about just blanketly saying tax the rich, in this city we have, we may have 8.8 million people but 65,000 pay 51% of our income taxes. And if you say to those 65,000 to leave, then we're not going to have the firefighter, the teacher, all of those basic things. No, let's find a way to use the tax dollars. We're wasting tax dollars. We're dysfunctional as a city. We create our crises, and those tax dollars are being wasted. I say, let's make sure we get our house in order through our agencies. And then let's talk about how much money we need to run this city. Right. We have a $98 billion budget. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. And and how much of that are we hemorrhaging? I say, no, let's do a proper analysis and make the real decision based on what we have in front of us.
1: Becky's got a question for you. Bex. How are you? Good. Thanks
5: for being with us today. Um, just. Back to some of the problems with crime in the city. When, when I talk to New York City police officers, they, they tell me part of the big problem has been the criminal reform laws that were passed by the state, um, and that it's really frustrating that you arrest somebody and they're back out on the streets a day or two later. Um, it's demoralizing. Those are things that are done at the state level. What, what, what can you do to try and work within the bounds of that?
4: It, it, and It's a combination of things. You know, number one, some of the uh, bail reform laws were wrong. But there's something else that's happening that a lot of people are not recognizing. Our judges are not giving bail on cases that they actually can give bail bail on. And they're also not looking at Kendra's law. This is the law that allows the judge to uh, really compel someone to take medication. That's the mental health crises we're seeing on our public transportation system and and in the streets. And, th- and third, I never want to reach a day that my police officers are going to state because of what happens in Albany. They're not going to protect our public. I've been frustrated as a police officer on what I witnessed in Albany and on a federal level. When I put on that uniform, the public comes first, and we must always have that mindset. Joe?
6: Miss, yeah, thanks, Andrew. Mr. Mayor Nominee, I, yeah, I'm trying to figure that out, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, what about... Uh, Captain? I don't know. Do 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 (laughs) anyone call you captain anymore? Anyway, Mr. Merrill nominee uh, uh, Adams, I want to ask you about how we approach uh, the schools, the public schools, the charter schools, the private schools. I know you've seen the progress that that Harlem Children's Zone uh, has made. And I'm not sure that the last the current administration, I guess, I'm already – Last, I'm trying, I'm trying to hurry things up. But I, I don't think that the, the charter schools really felt like they had their day in the sun for Wano. How will you approach the whole issue? It's so important, obviously, to, to our kids in, in uh, New York City.
4: Well, you know, think about it for a moment. And you, When you started out, you were on the right road. You started mentioning the different types of school. Uh, I am not engaged in a dialogue between charter schools, public schools, parochial schools. I, I don't listen to that. I engage in a dialogue of children. 65% of black and brown children don't meet proficiency in the Department of Education. 40% don't meet proficiency in charter schools. They both fail in my children. Our school system is dysfunctional and we have to stop acting like it is not. We have to sometimes call a thing a thing and we have to be honest about the basic essentials. So I'm going to embrace scaling up excellence. I'm going to look at my charter schools and see some of the good products that they're doing. I'm going to look at my district schools, like Bedford Academy. We're going to start scaling up excellence and not get into this adult dialogue of the name or the type of schools who is doing a good job educating our children. If you don't educate, you're going to incarcerate. That's why 80% of the men and women at Rikers Island don't have a high school diploma or an equivalency diploma.
1: Eric, what are you thinking right now about public transportation and, and how much, and I'm thinking about the MTA subways, getting people to work every day right, back right, and forth, Right. Uh, what you can do, what the city can do relative to what the state can do?
4: Well, you know, my relationship in Albany is so important right now. I'm a former uh, state uh, senator. Uh, I, you know, I, I chaired, you know, various committees in Albany. And when you look at it, if we don't get people back into the subway system, our economy is not going to turn around. And why aren't they getting there? You talk to the average employee, they're saying, we're afraid. We, are, we have to deploy our police better. Um, I, I don't know when the last time you've been on the subway. I don't, I don't want to see five police officers hanging around a to- token booth like they're afraid. You gotta get on the trains. I was right. a transit cop. I rode the trains by myself without road radios that operated. So it's about making sure the system is safe so people can can, can get back in the system. And safety is not only actual, it's perceived. The perception is a fear. Get the homelessness out, give them the services they deserve, and let's have a safe, affordable, reliable transportation system.
1: And then one of the things I know you're thinking a lot about is trying to match up people who don't have jobs right now with jobs and also reskilling. What do you think needs to happen in this city specifically?
4: Well, you know, we have a 10.2 uh, unemployment rate, a double the national uh, average. Uh, nationally, I think 90% of the jobs return. Here, we only have about 49% of the jobs return uh, pre-COVID. The real problem is those who are seeking jobs are not connected to those who are looking for employees. We should have a central platform, one application for any job seeker in the city match to a central database of all the jobs that are available then we can match them up and at the same time we can see where we're having skills uh issues we don't have an employment issue in the city we have a skill issue and we have to scale up the skills eric adams
1: uh, we appreciate you being thank with you. us we we look forward and hope that you'll be back here and we'll be talking a lot more about business in this city i like over squawking the, over the next <laughs> couple years we appreciate it we love, we love you squawking thank you
0: That's the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
2: We are clear. Thanks, guys.